Harwood. Um, so I've done a little bit of digging around and I've discovered. Ricky Grove. Fog comes in on little cat feet. <laughs> Phil Rice. This is the best film that I've seen all year and maybe ever. Damien Valentine. Use the machinima, Luke. Welcome to And Now for Something Completely Machinima, the podcast about machinima, virtual production, and related technologies. I'm here with my co-hosts, Damian Valentine and Tracy Harwood. Hello. Hello. Ricky is off in the desert collecting cacti, but he will be back with us at our next episode. So we're going to do our best to, uh, to fill in here without him. And I think this week we're just going to jump straight to... A pick that uh, is a little maybe out of the ordinary for us. It's certainly the platform that it's on is a little out of the ordinary for our normal picks because this one, at least with with the way that Tracy shared it with us, it's on Twitter. And it has a uh, a familiar character. So tell us about it, Tracy. Absolutely, yeah. This has been released only on X. It's only available on X. Um I think it's been called Shinto Ritual, um, as far as I can use Google Translate. Uh, that seems to be what it's called. Uh, it's by um, Sumaguri, uh, 2323. Sumaguri is what I'll call him or her. Uh, and it was released on the 23rd of November. Um, actually, this film was one that um, was shared uh, with us uh, by Jason Boom. And our, you may or may not know Jason. Jason was actually responsible for setting up the UK chapter for the Rooster Teeth community way, way back when. Anyway, Jason saw this on Twitter and thought it might be a fun one for us to discuss. Um, now, it's made in The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom System, um, and was released, like I said, on 23rd of November. So it's not been out all that long. Um, mention when Jason sent it over to me, he kind of mentioned that he hadn't actually seen an awful lot of Zelda-based Zelda machinima, so it, it stood out. And then I sort of thought about it, and actually I haven't really seen an awful lot of me neither. Yeah. Zelda-based machinima either. So I, I think this is really quite an interesting one for a kind of a number of reasons. What struck me first of all, actually, was just how many views this had racked up. And it currently stands, as we record today, at about 2.8 million views. Um but I think part of that is actually because of the timing too. Um, so the plot for this is is it's it's a Godzilla story, um, or what some folks are actually calling Zonizilla or Mecha Godzilla, um, because yeah. it's made with Zonai parts in the in the game. Um, basically, Godzilla is attacking Luralin village. is is rebuffed by this de defense as a as as all Godzilla attacks are. Uh, and obviously that doesn't work because it never does. And so Godzilla then returns to the ocean, presumably to sleep it all off in its nuclear-infused hideaway, wherever that is deep in the Pacific. Um, now, what I really liked about this is actually the editing and the sound effects, which make it a great homage to um, Toho and 
forgive my pronunciation here, Ishihara's Honda's Godzilla films. Um, It is actually a fairly faithful recreation of Godzilla rampaging through Tokyo in that very first 1954 film. Um, And obviously, I think the sound effects are are all from that kind of time period, which is fantastic. Um, It makes it all quite iconic, I think. Um, But it's actually the editing that really stands out in this short, or it certainly is um, for me. Um, And as to the point that I made about timing, I think that's important for a few reasons. Um, I suppose primarily because there's been this kind of massive upsurge of renewed renewed kind of interest in Godzilla films uh, in recent years. The the, the Shin Godzilla-directed Hideaki Anno, is that correct? Um, uh, Which won uh, in a number of the categories at the Japanese equivalent of the Academy Awards in 2016. Then there's Godzilla Minus One, which was recently released. And next year, uh, sort of later this year, we've also got Godzilla uh, and Kong, which, which um, I'm quite looking forward to seeing, to be honest. Um, and then, of course, there's also that Apple TV Plus series, um, which is running at the moment called Monarch Legacy of the Monsters or Legacy of Monsters, um, which actually I am thoroughly enjoying. Although generally, Are, are you watching it? I am watching it. Yeah, it's in my queue. Yeah, I was. It, no, it's really great. I, I've got to say, um, I I have never really been um, into the fandom for this particular monster, um, and part of the reason for that, I think, is because I remember as a kid seeing these really dated, um, uh, you know, black and white. Um, I don't know whether they were the films or whether it was a TV series we had here in the UK of it. I don't I don't really remember. I just remember it being a really rough, uh, rough kind of very dark, very black and white, and in a language I didn't understand with writing that went far too quickly across the screen for me to follow as a, as a young child, basically. Um, so, I, and I guess really for that very reason, I suppose I was a bit more interested in, in King Kong than ever I was um, Godzilla. Now, as I understand it, um, sumaguri, um, which ironically means skin diving or free diving in Japanese, he's basically used um, this ultra hand building mechanic feature in the game to create and animate the objects, such as the items in the set and the monster. So this film is something that he's created from scratch in the game, as well as the the explosions, the effects, the camera angles and the timings and the sound effects are, are really quite outstanding, I think. Um, it's quite interesting to note, actually, that this film is being badged as a bit of a marker in Zelda as well. Some have described Tears of the Kingdom as potentially a Fortnite-like environment, which I think is um, it's probably a little uh, difficult to appreciate from this. And and given that it actually doesn't really have the creative freedom that environments like Minecraft or um, or Fortnite has uh, in such abundance, I think it's a bit of a stretch too. But but nonetheless, that's what folks are saying. Um, I've also seen one of the forums say that partly, uh, you know, partly um, that, that there isn't really an awful lot of machinima in this either. It's because that it's never really been uh, used for it, it, its creative elements uh, in, in all the 40 years that the game's been available, um, which kind of makes sense, I suppose. Um However, I think another one of the gaming, uh, another one of the timing aspects of this is actually to do with the game itself, because you know that was released to quite a lot of hype last year, 
Um, it became the fastest selling game in the Zelda series and indeed of the whole year um, when it was released in May. And it's um, won a whole clutch of Game of the Year awards. Um, so I think this machinima was always going to find an appreciative audience, whatever the platform was that it, it found itself on. I think it had kind of tapped into that sort of cult classic Japanese thematic kind of scene very cleverly, actually. Um, uh, and and well deservedly because I do think it's a really it's a it's a it's a cool edit of it. Um, I've actually dug out uh, um, the original Japanese uh, trailer for the 1954 film, um, mm. which was released by Toho, um, uh, and it's on YouTube. Um, and obviously, there's a whole ton of material out there that you can kind of dig into, but. I was really interested um, to 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 look at that um, because, and this is something I had never really fully appreciated. In that trailer, it actually makes reference to um, King Kong as well. Um, and what you see there is that what they're what they're making reference to is the special effects that are used. The, these these effects in Godzilla are better than the ones in Kong. So you've got to watch this film. That was how it was released uh, in Japan, certainly. Um, which actually I think adds a really interesting layer to the Godzilla and Kong film that's up, that's upcoming too. So, um, yeah, probably more than you might have thought I would have had to say about this, given that I know next to nothing about the Godzilla lore. But I was really impressed with this. What did you think? Well, you always find a way to dig into the details and find all kinds of surprising things, even when it's something like this. So yeah, um, sure. not surprised at all. Uh, for me, I... I'd heard, excuse me. I'd heard that this Zelda game had this build mode. Um, I never played the game myself, um, and I didn't realize you could do things like this. Like they've actually built this Godzilla robot thing. Um, it looks you, like you look at it, you know it's meant to be Godzilla. It's not an exact perfect replica of Godzilla, but you recognize it. Um, I didn't know you could do that. And obviously, there's some kind of scripting thing in it to make it move. I don't know how that works because. This film was made on a Nintendo Switch, which is uh, one of these. Yeah. It's not much bigger than a phone. So there's a touchscreen keyboard that comes up on it. So I don't know if you can do any coding or however that works, but it moves. And then they've got these tanks that shoot lasers. I think uh, the creator of this film obviously built those in the game with this building tool and built the uh, attached lasers to them. And they work because when you see them fire, there's explosions in the in the background when they're hitting their targets. Um, so, you know, I didn't know that the game had that extensive uh, um, range of tools. So, so it's quite impressive. And also we haven't seen much machinima made on the Nintendo Switch. So again, that's quite impressive as well. And it's surprising that we haven't because um, if you press, uh, maybe it's this button, which you can't, this, this button here, mm -hmm. it will start recording. You press it once, you take a screenshot. If you hold it down, you, you can record video. It saves it straight on the device, and you can then transfer it onto your PC. Um, so, you know, mm -hmm. you've got a handheld machinery tool. So uh, it's kind of surprising, although maybe it's because, you know, it's hard to take out the, the game interfaces and things like that. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I just thought we'd have seen more anyway. Uh, so, yeah, surprising for that as well. You know, I said a few weeks ago, I always admire people using games to make something that the game was not designed for 
and obviously Godzilla was not what the Nintendo had in mind for Zelda. Um, right. <laughs> so yeah, I thought it was really good. I liked the old style sound effects. I wasn't sure if they just lifted that audio oh, straight yeah. from an old film or. If oh, I'm sure they did. Yeah, together, but I thought it was very well done, and the footage, the video footage they had, was timed nicely with that audio. So they spent a lot of time lining all up with the editing and. Um, so again, a lot of work put into that. So yeah, I think it's a great choice. Very different. Um, also, not just on the platform that's being on Twitter, but using a game that we've never seen before for Machinima on uh, a games console we never, we very rarely see. Uh, so I think it really stands out as a very unique film that's excellently made. And uh, yeah, I want to see more Switch Machinima now. Yeah, we'll get Jason on to uh, tracking it for us, I think. Yeah. Yeah, my son has this uh, Zelda game um, placed on the Switch, and he he let me watch over his shoulder a little bit while he played and stuff, and it's just some really, really gorgeous environments, big wide open spaces. Uh, I think his favorite thing about the game is something that's not featured in this trailer, which is the, the game's uh, original soundtrack. The score is just beautiful just really really evocative and beautiful and, and kind of you know morphs and responds as you move to different parts of uh of the world it's it's a it's a neat system that they've got to to uh to implement the music um yeah when i first was watching this um i didn't look at the the tweet above it like the actual text so i didn't see the hashtags and i i I was watching it thinking, what in the world is this made in? You know, and I, I I figured, okay, it's not quite sophisticated enough to be a pure Unreal Engine creation, which I know, Tracy, you tend to spot those before any of us. That was my first thought. Well, maybe it's that, but no, it's not quite there. So it must be a video game, but what game? So it was only after I'd watched it that I saw the uh, the Zelda hashtag. Uh, and yeah, I had no idea that this game can had any sort of uh, of modes that would enable you to do that at all. It is very interesting. Um, and uh, w what a neat experiment it must have been for the person making this to set out to envision, yeah, let's let's recreate this this uh, kind of iconic Godzilla scene. I mean, not necessarily shot for shot, but you know what I'm saying. The, yeah. the the, something to go along with that that soundtrack, which I grew up on this stuff. Okay, the 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 Godzilla, and to a lesser degree King Kong for some reason. It was more Godzilla and that whole pantheon of monsters that he would fight at different times. You know, those old the old movies where it's just you can tell it's just a guy in a suit. Oh, I just <laughs> loved it. Just just cheesy. Just a guy in a rubber suit. You know. Uh, stuff that would basically make, you know, early Doctor Who look like a technology upgrade. This is how <laughs> low tech this was, right? It was like, oh, I just loved it. I just loved it. I had all, you know, I had Godzilla toys. I would play with dinosaurs and pretend they're Godzilla in my sandbox as a kid. I mean, it was just, and so the, and this was on every Saturday. Like there was cartoons of course saturday morning cartoons and then on wgn out of chicago every saturday was like a marathon of monster movies 
Oh. Um, and this old style, low budget monster movies, mostly. There was always a Godzilla movie and then, you know, sprinkled some other stuff in there. Uh, actually, the the Google this sometime if you're interested, for, you know, but there was a host of that program on WGN, the station in Chicago, called Son of Sven Gulli. And he was basically the MC for these Saturday movie marathons. So he would get on and introduce the movie. And then like, like an intermission point, he'd get on and do more stuff. And he would do comedy sketches and all this other stuff. And as far as I can understand, he was pretty much a one-man operation. Like it, it, it's about the quality of like what cable access would be, you know, like it, it was just as low budget as these movies. And he's dressed in kind of a vampire costume and making these corny jokes. It was the best thing ever. If you know anybody who's grown up in the Chicago area and was my age, they'll know who Son of Sven Gulli was. It's still talked about today. Um, Just classic. So yeah. hearing that soundtrack, like I instantly recognized it. Like I didn't have to look and look it up or see what I knew instantly what it was from. Uh, and just it's very evocative. Yeah. Um, and, the you know, the the, the sounds and the. All of that from those those films. Nothing but pleasant memories for me watching it. So to be honest with you, I had trouble kind of sitting back and analyzing and for critical purposes the film because I was just too caught up in the moment it was given me. And I'm I'm not sure if that's what the intent was, you know. I for all I know, he would the filmmaker would hear that and go, success. Yeah. You know, because it was, it was a it was a, f a feeling delivery system that that one minute and 40 second little film there. So I, I, I don't know. I, I just don't really care much about how it was made. I probably should as a machine filmmaker, I should care. <laughs> I just don't care. I loved it. it it's like, I just want to, I want to just pat the person on the back and say, thank you. It was nice. That was great. It was just really nice. Yeah. So you so, and I think the 2.8 million others that have watched it. Yeah. Yeah. All I could see from the uh, from our on our board here is that it has close to thirty four thousand likes, and I thought that was impressive. Yeah. But you're saying the views is over to almost three million. That's amazing. Yeah, especially for Twitter as a platform, you know. Absolutely, yeah. yeah Seems like was... it's almost nothing nowadays for a video on on YouTube to be able to hit hit the millions. It happens. It's like oh, huh. <laughs> neat. You know, on Twitter, well, that's a that's a big deal. Yeah. It is. So. And you know what's interesting? He has got a YouTube channel, he or yeah. she, um, but he's not put it up there. Huh. huh? It's only on X as far as I could see. That probably helped the numbers then. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Well, anyway, great, uh, great pick, Tracy. Do I would you, have loved uh, to have heard, heard what Ricky would have had to have said about it. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we'll get him to have a look at it. To, to have a look and just weigh in and kind of do an Instagram version of uh, his reviews on these films that he misses. That would be kind of fun, actually. I yeah. can encourage him to just do it with his phone. <laughs> and then we can yeah. uh, we can incorporate those later in the videos. From, so. from where where did you say he was? This week? He's, he's in the desert, is he? With cacti? Uh, he's in the desert collecting cacti. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to see what sort of cacti he's yeah. picking up. He's looking for the prickly pear, but I told him, look, just yeah, just get a practice, just get cacti and, and you know. Well, he's going to use it for his ice. When next time he goes ice fishing, he's going to put the cacti in the in oh, the water yes. and spike the fish. That's right. That's right. Idea. Yeah. 
We so, have a second uh, pick as well, don't we? Yes, I guess you're yes. going to be modest about this one. But shall I let shall I introduce this one and go through my thoughts? Or do yes. you want to tell us about it to start with? Go ahead. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> so uh, I have picked, or we have picked, this film that Phil has made. In actual fact, you released it, I think, on the 10th of November. So it's been out a little while. Yeah. Um, it's called Lobachevsky, uh, Tom Lehrer, The Secret to Success in Mathematics. And it's a it's a typical Phil Humor style film. Um, so one would expect, and 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 indeed there is uh, no no reason not to expect it. Great editing in this, of course. Um, and obviously, what what Phil has used here is um, public domain audio recording of one of Tom Lehrer's classic songs. Um, uh, but I think it's what you've done with it that's that's really quite fascinating. Um, I actually found it a lot of fun. Uh, and being an academic, of course, it demonstrates the kind of poetic telling of a Russian-esque tale of life in the pursuit of knowledge of um of knowledge in, in academe. Uh, and it's highlighting some of the key challenges that researchers face and some of the less ethical ways, I suppose, that the publish or die mantra has kind of been dealt with. Um, but all that aside, at the, the time that this particular song was um, uh, written by Lyra, um, which I think was in the early 1950s, America um, would have been in the midst of the Cold War. Um, mm-hmm. So there's this really interesting undertone of political intrigue represented in what was being said in this song. And at the time, of course, there was um, great deliberation over spying and secrets being plagiarized from the Americans. And on top of that context, the song um, was also written when Lyra was himself struggling to write his doctoral thesis in mathematics at Harvard. Um, and he never did complete that. Um, believe me, I'm pretty sure that many students can relate to Lyra's sentiment in conducting research Um which is kind of represented in this song. So there's quite a lot of in-jokes, I think, uh, that's that's sort of an undertone here. Um, and so I guess that may well have led to him being distracted by kind of contemporary cinema during, during that sort of time period as well, um, probably as a way to escape his studies, which seems to be the reference to Lobachevsky's colleagues' research being published and then made the subject of a Hollywood film with a well-known actress, Ingrid Bergman, um, and mention of this kind of infamous uh, studio, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, um, all of which I think is really quite interesting. Um, all of that said, though, I think the actual inspiration for the song wasn't wasn't that. I think it was Danny Kaye's routine that honoured a Russian actor, Stanislavski. That was the original inspiration. Um, question for you then, Phil. How did you manage to mash these different kind of contextual underpinnings together? Because there's really lots of hidden depths in the song which make it a rich source. And it's written with such precision in lacing these things together. But you've really captured quite a lot of that. Um, and I just wondered, how did you do it? 
Nice simple question. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Okay, so well, first of all, how I, you know, how the idea came to to use this uh, song, um, I wasn't unfamiliar with Tom Lehrer's work. I don't think I I certainly did not understand or had hadn't heard all of his catalog, but um, you know, there were there were some that that were familiar to me. And when I heard this song again, prior to picking it as the subject of the film, I felt like I'd heard it before, but when I was very young. And so a lot of the humor, uh, I only caught the, I guess the low end, the low hanging fruit of the humor, you know, that the kind of silly way that he played with the accent and things like that. That was all that really I was able to absorb. And so then I discover it now, you know, 25 years post-collegiate and just uh, uh, just so much more of it. It all made sense, you know. But how I discovered it was um, someone, I can't remember who, but it was actually someone personally told me about Tom Lehrer making his catalog of all his songs, public domain. And basically they sent me the link and says, Hey, they're all available for download on his website. Go get it. You got to hear this. It's great. Um, and so I just basically this, when that happened, uh, which the first, the first batch of releases of that was close to two years ago, probably, probably about two years ago from now. And then later he released even more about one year ago, but uh, I just went and just downloaded them and just put it into a folder that I've got that I kind of call my inbox, which is basically just stuff I don't have time to look at right now, but I will get to it eventually so I can put it here and feel safe that this will get this will get reviewed eventually. That, and it just sat in there for like almost a year. And when I was going through kind of doing some housekeeping and cleaning up some files and clearing out the inbox. I thought, Oh, you know what? I haven't listened to those yet. Now nah, let's just, and so I unzipped them all, threw them all into a big playlist and just put them on while I was working in my office. And this song, uh, you know, several gave me chuckles and you know, he's, he's a wonderful performer and very, uh, clearly a very smart, uh, writer. Uh, I love his style of humor, but this song just, just lifted out in full relief of, whoa, this is just so funny. And my son is very much into uh, uh, pursuits related to mathematics and engineering and stuff. And, and that's increased my, uh, increased the relevance of those topics to me naturally, you know, as he's pursued the, that course of study, I'm more interested. So yeah, it was just like the perfect time to encounter the song again. And I thought, I wonder if I could do something with this, you know? And the original idea was just going to be... Um, when I first decided, okay, I'm going to make this, was in the fall, early fall of 2023. And I just thought, okay, AI art has come along now to where I could just... You know, uh, I could just do a slideshow. 
but just but just do something that kind of illustrates some of the humor of this. And so I just started experimenting with that of generating different images based on pieces of the lyrics or inspired by the lyrics or whatever. And just the more I got into it, the more I I thought, no, this needs more. This needs more than what AI is going to. So then AI became very much secondary. It's just like, all right, AI is going to be the the filler, the the mortar between a few of these bricks, but mainly i want to i i want to portray the people in this story i i i want to portray that um yeah so that's that's just kind of what led me to it and it was right around the time when i was finally getting serious about um about iclone as a tool i had bought iclone 7 i want to say the previous November or December, they were basically giving it away right before iClone 8 came out. They were almost giving away iClone 7. It was so cheap. And I I didn't have time to work on it at that point, but I just thought, that's just too cheap. I can't just, I'll just go ahead and get it. And thinking that I'll probably get a little bit of a discount on iClone 8 if I buy iClone 7. And I was right. So right when iClone 8, iClone 8 came out, I bought that, but I still didn't have a game plan. My only skill set was fiddling around with video games, and I still know how to use MovieStorm, which is, you know, it's like the, the the steam locomotive guy at Henry Ford's house, you know? It's like, what what the hell am I going to do with that, you know? So I set about constructing... Sorry, this is so long-winded, but no, no, I, I, set about, I set about constructing a plan uh, where I could, the advice that I was getting from people that I would ask was, you just got to get in there and just learn it, you know, and that's fine. And I didn't want to get a, it's not that I didn't want to learn it. It's, I want to start producing now, even though I don't know enough about iClone to produce what I eventually want to produce, the more detailed stuff. But I don't want to wait. I I I just don't have the patience, uh, or frankly, the the I don't have the, the the I don't have enough miles left on my odometer to just take a year off and do nothing but study how to make films again. I want to start making stuff now. I've got the juice. I've got the inspiration. So why can't I produce something now, but be learning it too? And so I thought, well, how can I do that without? coming off like just a total amateur and not in the good way. You know, we, Ricky has kind of reacquainted me with the word amateur to where it's not a bad worm, but I didn't want to be amateurish, you know, and have it be these clunky. I've already done that. That's my look at, you want to see that? Look at my early films. That's, that's all my early films is just clunky, you know, barely figuring it out stuff. I still have a standard of quality I want to hit but I've got a skill deficit right now. So the plan that I came up with was to evaluate all the film ideas of what I want to produce. Cause I've gotten at a point now where I'm not adding anything. I'm not adding anything more to that list. I have enough work now to keep me busy through the rest of my able years. Believe it or not, I don't have to add anything new and I've got, but but the thing is, is the stuff towards the end of that list is like feature length production, major, major deal. 
and there's full series of really complicated stuff. I can't do that right now. But I've got other ideas that are less demanding technically, but are still worth making. Because that was the that was the distillation that I had to go through was which I which of these ideas are even worth making? And I threw away probably 75% of them to come up with the list that now will keep me busy the rest of my life. That's how many just it's a ridiculous amount of ideas of what to produce. So now everything that I'm making is stuff that has passed that gauntlet. So I structured this order of what I want to produce and Lobachevsky fit in the right place at the right time for me in terms of I will have developed enough. I knew this when planning it. By that point, I will have developed enough skill in these key areas of iClone to be able to pull off what that film needs. It fits perfectly in that slot. So that's where it goes. And so there was something much less, you know, that was less technically complicated prior to that. And the one prior to that was even more simple. And the ones after it get more and more complicated. You, you understand what I mean? There's like a, I was building a hierarchy of swords. Lobachevsky fit in there. So some basic animation and, uh, you know, really mastering the compositing, using content out of iClone and things like that. Those were all keys to this. And then I had, I had been experimenting a lot with um uh, started off with mid-journey but more so leonardo ai uh runway runway was a big help on this one for some of those more bizarre scenes and backdrops and stuff um so yeah and and then the decision to make it all black and white was kind of that was actually a pretty late game decision but i feel like it it was the right thing to do it's actually not black and white right it's it's more like a old print sepia, sepia tone look yeah, yeah. but yeah. essentially it was wash it out to black and white and then color correct it to that to make it all look consistent that was a very late game decision uh it wasn't that i i didn't envision that that way from the beginning but when i got all the video in the editor and started you know putting them side by side i thought eh, this it feels pretty disjointed here well that's why because of the color so um yeah, but uh, having done it, then it was like, oh, yeah, this is what this should have looked like all along. So, yeah, that's, I guess, uh, that's a nutshell of of why the song touched me enough to, to do something with it. I was very cautious about the fact that this is somebody else's song. And, you know, I'm not doing a whole lot of, there's not a whole lot of that in my agenda for what to produce going forward. It's a lot more focused on original stuff or stuff that I know I have the rights to use. This, it was so recent, and I thought, oh, geez. Uh, but I felt pretty confident um, that I could take a chance and believe what I'm reading, that this is indeed fair game to use. Got a bit of a scare when I uploaded it to YouTube uh, because YouTube flagged it. Oh, this is after it's already, it's completely done. The whole film is produced. And fortunately, I'm uploading stuff to YouTube about four to six weeks before it hits the air. So I had time to, to respond, but I upload it and it, it gets flagged for the music. Uh, the YouTube content ID system on the audio. And I thought, oh my God. And so I started planning for, well, the alternative is I just... I create a cover of this song and try to sync it exactly to his. 
which I could have done. I don't have quite the piano chops he does, but I could work around that. And I could definitely perform it vocally. It wouldn't be as good as accent as him. But again, it's one of those things where you do what you got to do. But meanwhile, I just responded to YouTube and said, hey, according to what I see here, here, and here, this is public domain. And I should be able to use this in my movie. So basically, I filed an official appeal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they responded a few days later and said, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Objection lifted. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that, that was pretty neat. You don't hear those stories turn out that way very often, but no, in this case, it was it I, was property that indeed that was his intent. Is all the recordings uh, that he has uh, any domain over are pure public domain. So, well, listen, yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's really interesting. But you know the the, the bit that really strikes me about because because I get how you've done it and I get why you've done, it, but it, but it's the 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 layers of the interpretation that are just outstanding from my, my from my point of view you know the 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 notion of plagiarization the time period of the 50s the cold war the hollywood scene you know the the, the tale of non discovery of of um research if you like and the political intrigue because it's the selection of images and the characters that you capture so beautifully um which I think is a really great match for Lyra's sense of humour. Um, I will just say one more thing. Before, sorry, Damien, I know you, you want to sort of jump in on this as well. I just want to say one more thing. I understand that Lyra gave up songwriting in the early 1970s because he he's must must be, what, now mid-90s? Yeah, he's 95, 96, something like that. Yeah, okay. Um, but I was reading a bit about him, um, and apparently following the award of the Nobel Peace Prize to then US Secretary of State Henry Kissinger in 1973, he actually said political satire became obsolete, uh, meaning that it's actually quite hard to be funny about serious stuff. And I think that's really, you know, it's, it's, I think it's absolutely true today. It's really hard to be funny about serious stuff. So to capture that humor in some new way, I think is, is really uh, an an achievement, and I think that's exactly what you've done here. What you've what you've done is captured political satire through this uh, this film, and I actually think that if he saw this, if Lyra saw this, I'm fairly certain he would enjoy the interpretation. Um, and I also think it should be held up as an exemplar to others too, because of the way that you've managed to portray political satire. So many congratulations on this, Phil. Thank you. And and I, I, it would be so amazing if he did get to see it. And I, I, I would, I set out to make something that I thought, okay, if, if by some crazy twist of fate he does see this, I don't want him to be. Uh, I want to make it clear. I want the film to make it clear that I'm not making fun of him. Oh no! That I'm not making fun it. of his song, mm. and that. Uh, uh, and that it it it's truly an homage, you know. It's not, uh, and and it was it was tough. I I I can appreciate political satire, but I could also appreciate how how prickly it can be in our current climate. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, in our current climate, where you know most of the people that you run into now have 
have very little memory of the Cold War and what it really was. And I mean, even for me, these images that came through in the film, I didn't live through that. Mm. I, my parents did, but I lived through an era where that was that era was being portrayed on television. So really, that's what I got. So I have no idea if it's if it's authentic, but it certainly is authentic to the view of that Cold War era that I had. And this this sense of uh, you know, this, my my wife is is from former USSR, so we joke all the time uh, together in good in good humor about you know whenever the the villain on the the movie we're watching ends up being Russian, and I'll just turn to her and I'll just go, Russians, of course, <laughs> isn't exactly. it always? Of course, exactly. it's the Russians. <laughs> you know, because we've had many frank discussions about the propaganda machines that we both grew up under pointed in opposite directions during Absolutely. that time, you know, yeah. as mm -hmm. children of the Cold War. So uh, and yeah, so I wanted to be respectful of that and, and and try to be authentic to that era without dredging up old offensive stereotypes. Um, I, I wasn't setting out to not offend anyone, but I also didn't I didn't want it to to be about making fun of Russians, to be, to put it bluntly. You know, it wasn't that because that's not what's funny about the song. Uh, it it uh, The song itself has has so many more layers. For sure. Um, and yeah, there's some tongue in cheek reference to <clears throat> to a corruptibility that frankly, all honest USSR citizens know about. They all know it was there. I mean, th that reference to the plagiarize and all of that, There, you, you would get a knowing chuckle from anyone who is honest about the way things were. But to me, the extra layer there is that that wasn't just in the USSR at all. Yeah. You know, that it actually, it was... It's one of those where one side accuses the other of what they're actually doing. You see that in political spheres and, and all over the place all the time, right? The left accuses the right of something they're actually doing or vice versa. And so this was kind of that type of joke of, you know, he's portraying this this Russian without without what we would call scruples, but there's kind of this sense of, this is how it works, you know, Yeah. and not celebrating it, but also not not being too quick to be judgmental about it, because, yeah, it's not something peculiar to Ivan. So, yeah, I, I just I loved. It it struck me that his approach to humor about that at a time when he had every excuse to be bigoted and disrespectful in the fifties, nobody would have objected to him being bigoted uh, about the Soviets. You know, they would have clapped him on the back for it, you know. But no, this wasn't that way. This was kind of uh, it was fun about the people that we're all being told we're supposed to think of as our our enemies, as the evil empire, you know, and and all of that. So. I thought, well, I want that. I want my film to have that same, yeah, same tone. 
it's poking fun in lots of different directions yeah. simultaneously actually yeah it's really good yeah piece. without poking fun without the emphasis being who's to blame for this that or the other it's just you know so yeah i i'm so glad that uh I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, I definitely did. Damien, I really enjoyed making it. I really enjoyed it as well. I just want to add a little bit to the, um, uh, Phil, you just saying that he wasn't um, being really nasty about the Russians. And that was actually probably more risky in that era, with, you know, with the McCarthy era. In the Red Scare, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, so if you're not making, if you're not being nasty about the Russians, are you one of them? That he could have been got himself into a lot of trouble for making this song for the wrong reasons like he, he really he he walked a tightrope there i think yeah knowingly i think he knowingly walked that tightrope yeah yes it's a bit like when they um, introduced Chekhov to the original series of star trek um it's kind of along those lines really oh mm -hmm. well, i was actually going to ask you about how you made it but you kind of <laughs> answered that already well um, is there a particular a particular scene or shot or something that that oh it's just I was interested in how you kind of combine because I, I obviously recognize the iClone um, elements yeah. to it. So I was kind of a lot of iClone rendering over the alpha background, right? Yeah, you, know, okay. you can render out the se second pass over with just alpha channel. Yeah, and then I brought that together. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of that going on. Like I I don't think there's no sets built in iClone. Right. Everything is a backdrop. Um. It's AI art. The very opening shot of that theater is a photoshopped image. Actually, the the Russian letters on the marquee it says Nikolai Lobachevsky, but in <laughs> the Cyrillic alphabet. Little yeah. hint there that like people like my wife will catch, and ninety nine percent of people won't even know is there. <laughs> but that that scene, and then I tried to do the moving cars as a runway shot, and it just mangled. The, you know, the cars turn into like beetles as they move across and stuff. <laughs> So I threw that out and just animated a parked car and one moving car in iClone over Alpha and just put it on top. So there's a lot of that, a lot of just layers on layers, most of which were planned well in advance. Some of them, uh, you know, the, the, the tech that I wanted to use wasn't working. Uh, and so I just and, and that was all part of. The learning technique that I was using for iClone was I'm going to focus on a particular set of skills that I want to flush out and not worry about set building. As you've seen from stuff I sent you about a week ago, I've now moved into the set building phase and it's it's crazy. But at that time, I wasn't worrying about that. I just wanted to get to where I could relatively control the characters well and get a clean image because I knew, I mean, compositing is going to be a part of several things that I'm going to work on in the future and I've never been, I've never been really pleased with how that's worked for me in in the past. It's been, you know, uh, Nine Inch Nails only, for example. Lots of compositing there, and it was just a nightmare to get it to work right because it was all green screen. You know, you, you always this is outline, don't you? Uh huh. It was it was really hard. It took like it just greatly multiplied the work to get that to not show up, and even and then sometimes it's like, hope no one notices that, you know. Yeah, I, I just decided I don't want that anymore. I want to get a. I want. I want to be the perfectionist that I want to be. Yeah. But you have to be good enough to be a perfectionist sure. to to do that. You know, if you don't know how to fix the stuff, then being a perfectionist is just suicidal. You know, so that's what I've been setting out to do is is finally learn how to do this stuff right. 
So this was a fun part of the journey for that. Well, I think my favorite scene, if I may, if I may, my favorite scene is when he describes the name of the paper that he wrote, and it's all the the words that that series of runway images of Riemannian manifold and equations moving and stuff. Oh my gosh, I probably spent I probably probably spent twelve hours on that <laughs> on that eight second section of the movie. It was so fun to make because I knew what I wanted it to do, and I, I mean there dozens of hours of footage generated yeah. for that to get it just right. And I just loved it. Like I actually paid for a runway membership just to do that scene. I used up all my credits <laughs> just to do that scene for like two months. So yeah, I had so much fun making this. So it shows, yeah, I'm, gl I'm glad you liked it. And you, it shows you put a lot of work into it. And uh, um, I know you're still learning iClone, it doesn't look like this does not look like some, a film made by someone still learning iClone. Well, yeah. And that's, that's some nice sleight of hand Yeah, because I am, you know, uh, and still am, but that would, that was the reason for this plan is I just wasn't really interested in going on the journey of, Hey, everybody watch me be a toddler again. Um, because there are areas that I'm really strong in. And so why can't I lean into those? And yeah. But at the same time, be, you know, I'm going to keep showing everyone this arm while this one that's really weak is I'm going to be pumping iron in the background, that kind of thing, you know? So that's, I guess that that's a really, really stupid analogy, but it's, you get the idea. It makes sense. And I also don't blame you for not wanting to spend a couple of years learning how to do it and not produce. I just don't have that kind of time. I'm not, I, I don't just have that don't. patience either. I, I, when no. I get a new piece of software, I want to figure out the basics and then make something with it. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. then try and make it look as good as possible. I'm not, I'm not I've got to... too many. I've got too many stretches of my life that I look at and go, "What if I had just mm. invested my time in X ways?" You know. Yeah. I've decided this, whatever this chapter is that I'm in now, that's not gonna how that's not gonna be how I look look back on it. You yeah. know, I might not end up making a dime in terms of the whole, you know, being an actual YouTuber or doing this for a living or whatever. But you know, okay. It's never really what this. The only reason I want that is to keep is to be able to keep doing this more. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not because I need it. So, I, I guess that's I, a so, good attitude to have, Phil. Because I, yeah. you know, like I like I said at the top of the last uh, episode that we were talking about the news items and whatnot. It's high time this creative ecosystem had a rethink. Um, yeah. And, you know, whatever you get out of it, you should do it for the love of the creative side of it, which is, you know, that's the great strength of, of you guys as creators. It's, yeah. um, you know, lean into that. Yeah. And I am sure that the other stuff will sort itself out one way or the other um, eventually. But I can only see it coming out in clear favor of the creative folks in the ecosystem because i genuinely believe that there is the desire to have them integrated more explicitly within the uh economic ecosystem certainly in in this country there's there's that movement going forward at the moment i'm actually uh you know i'm actually pushing for that at a, another level in the work that i do formally uh, as I am in the European community that I'm vo involved with, 
um, as I am through this forum too. So um, it's high time that that was a focus and, and, it, and it leaves you then the free hand to do the creative work that you're so good at. Anyway. <laughs> Excellent work, Phil, on this film. Absolutely. Just as a question, I've got another question. When yeah. are you doing the next one? Well, I, I guess you're already working on it by the sounds of it, but when can we expect a teaser of it? Um, well, uh, okay, so. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's a matter of which next one. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to. I, I release a new film every Friday. Oh yes, of um, course, of course, yes. So on on YouTube, every Friday is now. Some of those this past year have been remastered reissues of old ones that are worth bringing forward. So like this past, uh, the last week of of December was uh, Google Stooge. Uh, that's the last one. That's I, I have no more in the bin of of remastered ones to re-release. Uh, so it's all new stuff from here forward. But um, yeah, I would just say. Uh, Stay tuned to the YouTube channel. Every Friday, uh, 6 p.m. Eastern, um, is is a new release of some kind, typically a short film. Um, this this year, 2024, uh, after I've finished a few more shorts here, it'll be full production on uh, a comedy series. So, um, yeah, it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be a fun year, fun several years. So, good. Looking forward to seeing everything you do. Absolutely. Me too. Thank you, Phil. I'm having a blast. Good. It shows. I guess. Oh, I'm the host, though. aren't yeah, I? Yeah, yeah, yeah I guess. it's your show, mate. <laughs> I just, you know, I just wanted to, if you guys had some more stuff you wanted to say about me, I wanted to give you time yeah, to do what that. What have you got to say about me? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for tuning in, everybody. And um, yeah, we'll... Um, we we've missed Ricky um hope that he's found the cactus he's looking for and we look forward to his return uh we will have some special episodes from time to time uh this year some we've got some interviews that uh, we're we're trying to pull together and work up so we'll be doing that and uh you know trying to keep the format fresh and everything but uh stay tuned for more great machinima work coming for coming this year in 2024 so on behalf of my co-hosts, Tracy and Damien, and in absentia, Ricky, have a great day. Bye. Bye.